Welcome to The Extra Podcast. This is episode number 239. My name's Greg. I'll be your host. Joining me around the table, Pastor Andy. Good to be here. Pastor yep. Jeff. Word up. <laughs> Pastor Paul's here. And the silent interview. Did you just say word up? Yep. <laughs> word wow. up. It was all that DJ word, Jesse Jeff word, stuff. Yeah. Word up. Paul is hipping with it. Words. Word. Word. Hey, Do you remember that? Do you remember that song back in the day? Which one? Word up. Absolutely. I oh, do. yes. Okay. We're how, bro, Paul, how, I forgot. How, I'm trying to think of How old are you? <laughs> oh, 10? No, no. How Plus. old are you? Seriously, you're like, what are you, 30, 39? 37. Yeah. 39 years old. When did you 40? April. Ooh, a little we should have a big birthday party. party. We should have a party for Great. Paul. A Paul party. A Paul party. Okay. <laughs> um... Greg's we're in the studio. We're, this, this conversation this is the first time. me speechless. We're in a studio and working in a silent soundproof room is Ed Byers, who's one of our sound guys. He's out there. He's working hard. And uh, the room is being turned into a studio, which means we have some musical instruments around now, which is good, good fun. And I was waiting for <laughs> Jeff to get up and go to the drum set. You're not going to do it? staring at me for? You don't want to do it now? No, because we could give rim shots to everything that is said. I know. I thought Andy and I were going to have a little I know. I wanted to make fun of Greg, but that's fine. Right, no, it's good. It's fine. Did I say that Matt was here producing us? He's here. Hey, hey you guys, um, what happened to the Seahawks this week? They what lost, happened? Greg. What happened to our? That's uh, what happened. Our uh, unanimous I prediction think we've, last week. I think we've come <laughs> to the point where, where all, if all of us agree upon a thing, it's wrong. Wow. Oh dear. Hmm. So I don't know what to make make of that for everything else we've ever said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I really did think they were going to win, though. I, I I believed it in my soul. So this year, here's the funny part about this little little bit of I don't know what is this psychology now. <clears throat> People who I've spoken with and listened to on the radio are actually quite positive and even happy. Not happy that the Seahawks lost, but happy about the state of the Seahawks, even after they lost 31-24, because they went down so badly in such a, a, a complete you know, gong show. And then they came back and scored twenty four straight points against supposedly the best team in their in their in their league, and they almost I mean they we were one drive away from coming in and, and and tying the game. So compare that to last year when they came through and then at the last minute just choked it away. Like people this year are way more positive, thinking even in the guys in the locker room afterwards were like, yeah, no, this is not. We're real positive. We're a young team. We're still doing you know. We got a lot of years left, and we feel like we've really proven that we we have the resilience to come back from anything. So figure that out. So you make mm. it to the Super Bowl one year, and you barely you almost win it, but you feel worse after that than you do this. And I I for one, if you're gonna lose, lose early. Totally, those, those yeah, are words to live by right there. <laughs> right, if you're gonna lose, lose early. That's what the Cleveland Browns are all about. Yeah, I tell my kids that all the time. <laughs> don't don't lose late. No. No, listen. You're gonna if, do it. If you're gonna stink do at something, early. I want you to stink now, right? Right, yeah. so that we can just establish your stinkitude. Because when you're out early in tournaments, you get to go and eat freely at the cafeteria totally. and, and make watch fun the of other teams. Go. Make fun of the other teams. Yeah, stuff like that. It's great. It's good fun. Makes sense for all you little ones out there. Be encouraged. Lose early, and your life will be better. <laughs> 
Did anything else happen this weekend that was of, of note worth bringing up? Well, I'm not thinking church-wise, just like culturally. The Seahawks played, they lost. Mm. I watched the movie The Martian. Uh, Matt is wow. making forms with his fingers in a f- triangle. My <coughs> A.W. Matt wants us to talk about A.W. Apparently Matt's going? got an issue with A.W. Here's the issue his that I have. His hands are on his hips. Here's the issue I have with A.W. He's angry. As I said before the podcast began, number one issue, everything tastes like root beer. <laughs> All of it. Like it doesn't matter. You get the French fries, a fruit root tastes like, it's like they dipped them in root beer. If you get any other drink, it's a root beer drink. Can I have a Sprite? Can I have a Sprite? Yeah, with root beer? No, I don't want any root beer in it. Well, it's going to have root beer in it. So you always have the root beer. And second thing is, it's a burger is like, it's $12. Burgers are ridiculously expensive at A&W. You, you, it's like the you, baby burger. You think to yourself, I'm going to be getting, if for, for $12, I should be sitting down with a candlelight, right? Totally. <laughs> That's really my standard. That's $12. What I do, when I do well, for a date, we go out, honey, I'm going to buy you a $12 burger. Yeah. <laughs> A&W. She says A&W, right. Don't, I'm not a fan. Okay, hold on. I'm out. I'm I'm clueless here. Did something happen at A and W? No. Well, A and W. You gotta if you compare A and W with the other fast food joints. It's similar. It is better. No, no. It's no, it's better. not. Wendy's is better. No, I don't think so. No, nah, Wendy's is better. And it's not twelve dollars. You can go to Wendy's. You can get it. You can get it like a, a hamburger. You know what else is ridiculous at Wendy's? The Baconator. Oh man. <laughs> Like, There's everything wrong, everything wrong with that burger, and it's so good. Hmm. It is hard for me to go to other restaurants and buy <laughs> burgers because I think to myself, this isn't as good as Baconator. It's be- Five Guys is better. Mm. Apparent the habit is the one that we were talking it's, about yes. earlier, and that's it's only in, well, it's for, only in the south. For all of you, we recommend the habit if you go to the southern part of the United States, which you never will go to again because the U.S. dollar is worth way too much money. Right. You know, it's interesting. This Christmas, and W burgers are thirty dollars in the U.S. They would be with Canadian. This, yeah, if, that's the thing. Though. If the U.S. had A and W, my mom, when she she came up for Christmas, she flew in at eleven o'clock at night, and the first thing she said was, "Take me to A and W." And we went. They were open. Can you believe that? No. And I she don't, she had to get believe- her burger and her uh, her float. I don't actually believe. Yeah, because it's got root beer in it. That's right. Right. What about hey? You lived in Texas, Jeff. What about what a burger? And Did you ever not, go to Whataburger? Yes, wasn't a fan of Whataburger. No? Wasn't as good as uh, as many of the other And joints. their various ketchups? No. Texas does everything that everyone else does, but bigger and with a little more zing. We were talking earlier about Tex-Mex. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tex-Mex might be the greatest food on the world and on the planet. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I can give you that. Yeah. And by that, I mean like the global planet. I don't mean some local. I don't mean some local planet. Do you know what I mean? Not some small defined area. No, you mean I don't want a thing. small. You guys ever been to Johnny Rockets? No. No, Jeff, Johnny. Yes. Listen, if you, fantastic oh, fries. If it's a hamburger joint, I've been to it. Okay, let's just establish <laughs> that now. So, if you guys, you guys are good talking about hamburgers. Yeah, I'm good. Do you know this is a subject that I could wax eloquent upon? <laughs> For quite a while. A lot of experience. Okay, so in Abbotsford, your best burger. Well, the Baconator is pretty good. Okay. The, seriously, the Fat Burger does a pretty good burger, but it's still... White ba- Spot's great, too. The Baconator. White oh, Spot. Man, yeah, White Baconator. Spot You know, uh, Lou's always had a pretty good burger, but it tastes a little bit like meatloaf. <laughs> mm. 
so that's yeah, I'm not really excited about that. Mm. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. I yeah. Don't know that's what it is. Yeah. You know how some people put, like they try to make they try to make the burger yeah. to like way better than yeah. the actual burger. So they think you, you know can't what? Improve on meat. Let's add let's add stuff to the meat. Now I'm cool if you add some little little bit of onion, some bacon, garlic, some bacon, cheese. mix mix it in there, some cheese. But they put oatmeal. But the on moment there. that you start putting bread products into that burger, mm. you oh. got mo- you got meatloaf, and I yep. don't want meatloaf. <laughs> no, no fillers in the patty, please. No. Yep. Amen. Mm-hmm. No, this has been an enlightening part of our All podcast. Right, let's jump into some questions. Here's the first question. Uh, it actually was submitted a long time ago, so for this listener, we're sorry, but here it is. Uh, is we, we avoided we, it for too, for long enough. <laughs> <laughs> we got to do it. Is First Corinthians chapter eleven verse thirty saying that some Christians became sick and died because they partook of communion in an unworthy manner? Secondly. Does God still judge sin with earthly punishment, like ailments, natural disasters, and the like? So I'm going to give a wider context of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's, uh, it has to do with what was going on in the Corinthian church regarding the uh, taking of the Lord's Supper, or mm-hmm. what we call communion, which they probably did as an actual meal, right, in the evenings after people came to work. And that was the issue that they were having, is that the people who were a little wealthier in the community could come earlier in the day because they didn't have to work till late hours, and so they would come earlier in the day, and they'd, they'd, they'd get started early with the wine, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And so the food was gone. They got the best seats. The food was gone. The wine was, was flowing, that sort of stuff. And then the other guys would come in. And so there was a socioeconomic discrepancy in the church between those who came early and those who came late. And Paul was frustrated because they weren't eating to their unity, right? Eating Mm -hmm. and drinking, which is what they were doing. Anyway, at the end of the, at the end of this discussion in verse 27 in 1 Corinthians 11, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, which, in the context, I would assume, and I'm, you guys can correct me if you like, but I would assume it has to do with if you eat it in a way that displays the disunity of the church as opposed to the unity. So, uh, he whoever eats, the, or wh- therefore, wh- whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body. And that's the idea there, right? Discerning like how, how am I treating my brothers and sisters in this? Eats and drinks judgment on himself. (laughs) And that, here's verse 30. That's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So my answer to the question is yes. The plain reading of that text says that there are those people who are sick and ill, are ill and weak in the community of the church because they were eating, because of the Lord's judgment on them for eating the, the, the communion, taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, meaning that they were displaying a, a discrepancy or, or a, what do you call it, a, a, an unevenness in terms of their treatment of the body. Right. No? Yes. And some people had died. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
No, I mean you look. I mean you look at the the previous verse that talks about people overeating and getting drunk uh, when other people aren't getting any of it. So um, if you if that's kind of even on a pragmatic level, you look at that and you think, well, uh, yeah, if you're eating too much and drinking too much, you're gonna get sick. But then in this case, they're also leaving others mm. out of it, and so these other people who are coming for communion <laughs> take part in the Lord's meal. Uh, they aren't getting anything because they're getting there later, like Jeff already said. So, yeah, I think this God's judgment is coming down upon these people who are gluttons and drunkards. So that's freaky. So what about today? Well, the thing that's interesting about this passage is that it it doesn't... There's nothing tied particularly to apostolic authority in the sense that, uh, if you don't know what I mean, like Peter calls down a judgment on Ananias and Sapphira that I would say has a is absolutely true that the Lord was doing that, and it happened, and it's sort of tied to the apostolic era in the sense that it was the beginning, and, and even in that passage, you get an explanation saying that this was done basically to kind of establish the purity of the church and all that kind of thing. We don't have any of that indication here, so yeah, I, I don't have any reason to think that this sort of thing doesn't continue to happen. Uh, what I would want to ask us is why, why would we be so uh, troubled by that happening, that the Lord would actually uh, bring his judgment forward on people, that he would discipline those he loves. Because that's what the passage is saying in the end, right? You, some of you are ill and stuff because you're doing this, so stop doing it, and what's, what's going to happen? You're going to stop being ill. By the way, can we just make sure we can make a blanket statement? The people who are ill are not ill necessarily because they're singing, sinning against the body of Christ, Okay. <laughs> Like, this is a specific instance. My fear is that people hear us and think, well, that's why a lot of people are sick. I think it might be one reason that somebody's sick, but it's certainly not the only reason. Sometimes you're sick because you're sick. You live in a fallen world. But it is obviously the case in this passage that sometimes, yeah, sin causes that kind of sickness, and repentance from that sin would lead to healing, Mm -hmm. I would think. You get that kind of thing, too. In, in James 5, I'm reading it, that, if anyone among you is suffering, James 5, verse 13, let him mm-hmm. pray. If anyone's cheerful, let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. <clears throat> prayer of a righteous person has great power in it as mm. it is work. What's interesting here is the, the link between sickness and healing, or mm. sickness and, uh, and, and sin, right? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, we could talk about that for a while, but there sort of seems to be a link between sin and sickness, which, of course, I have theologically, I would say that the reason that we are sick in the world is because generally because of sin, but also because of specific sins that we participate in. And mm-hmm. So, you know, it's not always the case that you repent of a sin and you get healed, but it could be the case that that the reason that you're ill is that way. Gosh, was it Charles Simeon? Somebody I can't remember. Some some uh, old saint from the year, years gone by said that he had decided that he was. It is Simeon, I think, that he had decided that he was ready to retire from his pastorate. He'd been there fifty eight, fifty something years, mm-hmm. and he decided that he was going to retire from his pastorate. And he got sick because of it. As his reasons were like, I, I'm done, and I'm all these sort of things. And it was when he decided that he did not, he was going to not retire from his pastorate and instead keep going, that he got better. And he, mm. he pointed that. Now, wow. I have no idea if that's, you know, 
what that is, but he pointed it out and said, well, that's the Lord's chastisement was the way that he talked about it. I'm pretty sure mm. it's Charles Simeon that that happened mm. to. Anyway. Mm. Right. So when we fence the table... Uh, or when we put up when what we, is fence when, we when we um, when we warn people about taking the communion in an unworthy manner, so uh, we always say you know if you aren't a believer, um, please let the elements pass by if you haven't put your faith in Christ. And then sometimes people will say, uh, or if you have um, sin, if you've sinned against somebody and haven't sought out forgiveness and you haven't had reconciliation, let it pass by. Is that an accurate way of, of uh, applying this text? Because I think this is the text that people refer to when they say that. But do you think that's an accurate way of... Um, I, I wouldn't necessarily point to that text as well. I mean, for, I, I, Matthew 18 talks about you know, clearing things up with your brother and, right. and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, so and then come back and be healed when you come to worship the Lord. So I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I don't have, I think that's the, an appropriate way. Personally, I have, I think we do people a favor in, in as you said, fencing the table of the Lord. Mm-hmm. I don't, I think that, the, that given this particular situation, it is obvious that you can, you can take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner and that the consequences of such an act are quite uh, devastating. Right. Um, which should lead to all sorts of implications in our mind. One of the implications is, oh man, I don't think we treat the Lord's table with quite the <laughs> regard, perhaps. Yeah. That that we ought. And I'm listen. I'm not. I'm not a transubstantiationist or a consubstant. I don't believe. It, I, I actually believe it's a memorial. I, I'm right. I'm reformed. The in that body way. isn't actually. But I I think that that my fear is bread. that when we talk about the body and blood of Jesus as being a symbol or a, a memorial meal. But one of the things that we do is we we actually limit its importance, right? Uh, in our minds, we say, "Ah, it's just a symbol. Who cares? Do symbols or symbols doesn't matter." Well, actually, it does matter. It, it, there's something significant. There's a reason that we take it all together, for example. Mm-hmm. And there's a, it is a big deal if we're if we're showing significant socioeconomic differences that when we eat and drink it, we eat it and drink it as one body, that sort of thing. And we should be quite serious about that. So mm-hmm. Paul, as you... well, though, we're coming to the table as a family, right? Yeah. And I think it is significant that, that as a family, even when you come to the dinner table, like when you come to eat, it's a sign of unity is that you are part of one family. And so if you have a discrepancy or with, with a brother or sister in Christ, right, you want to heal that before you come to the dinner table, uh, that you might come in unity. That, that would be, I, I guess, one of the ways I'd look at it. Yeah, well, we don't get together and eat, eat the meal like they did, right? Uh, as a whole meal after work or whatever, and so we're probably not going to be at, at risk for offending the body of Christ in this way, right? Right. But, I'm but just, the I'm other way, the way you mentioned, I think, is a way that we do. We right. would do that. And does that mean that God might kill someone for that? Right. Well, yeah, I guess so. Apparently, but that I'm listen. I'm when I don't know. Right. I, I don't know. But I do think the severity and the seriousness of it is. That's what Paul's intent here mm-hmm. is. Hey, you do realize that your actions here are a pretty big deal. Right. So is your question doubting the use of this text in that way? Uh, no, I think I think it is warning us. I mean, to, about taking it in an unworthy manner. But I think that means um, not necessarily that I have, like, I've been having an ongoing disagreement with with somebody within the body of Christ. With uh, it could be somebody not even in the same town. It could be somebody, 
and and certain people will stay away and they won't take communion for a long time because of this disagreement and they think and they think it's punishment upon themselves uh, for that that like not taking communion is a punishment <laughs> but um, I, I think this is more referring to the immediate local body taking it together and and I think it is referring to the fact that it's a full meal where people are getting drunk and other people aren't eating in our situation uh, the way we do it, at least here generally in the, in the West, most churches I've been a part of, we have small pieces of bread that everybody gets handed at the same time and small little cups to drink from at the same time. So we don't have the... People aren't getting drunk or, um, or um, uh, overeating while other people are uh, having it held back from them or, or it's all gone by the time it gets to them. So my concern is that you're localizing it so much that you're ignoring a principle. Okay. And I'm wondering if the principle... See, the principle there to me is that the, the body and blood of Christ mm-hmm. taken at communion is meant to be taken as a sign of the unity of the body. Those things that break down the unity of the, bo- the body are the, very, are the issues that he's after. Now, whether or not that is, is w- what was happening in their particular culture or what happens in ours, my question would be, okay, well, what happens in ours to break... Or do we not ever do this kind of thing? Is this not a challenge that we have? This has no meaning to us. It only had meaning to the first... Because if you're going to say that, then I have a whole lot of passages in 1 Corinthians I want to ask you about, because they were having challenges with an overrealized eschatology in places that we don't have problems with. I mean, honestly, I don't know many, a whole lot of guys who've stopped, or a whole lot of women who've stopped having sex with their husbands because they think they're like the angels. Right. And that was happening there. So does that mean all of 1 Corinthians 7 doesn't have any meaning for me? Or does that mean that there are principles behind what's being said there, theological principles that need to be applied across. So if you're, if you're saying, and I hear you saying, that no I, what I, no, what I would like to hear you tell me is what is the principle that is applicable, if any, across cultures? From, from this sure. text in particular? Yeah, well, we, we see... Well, let me read it. <laughs> Go for it. Uh, again. Uh, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. See, I think that he's gone to principle there, don't you? Yeah. So he uses the word for, and it seems to me that he's moving away from the specific instance and is now making a principle. Here's the reason that I'm saying this. Here's the theological principle. The body of Christ and its unity Right, mm-hmm. and I th- I agree with you. I think it's with the local body. He's I don't think he's talking about like how you people in Corinth get along with the people in Ephesus. He's talking about the the relationships that you have between the people here. Right. So, what do they look like? And if those relationships are broken down now, and I think there's a particular emphasis socioeconomically here. Because I think that's behind the scenes. But again, even there, I don't know if the socioeconomics is the, only, is the principle. I think the idea is that you've formed divisions among yourselves, right? Especially in Corinth. you form formed divisions among yourselves. Mm-hmm. And if those divisions are evident, then you're, you're, not, you're taking the body together in unity, but you're actually expressing the opposite in your actions. And that's the problem. Right. Yeah. So when we, when we have, like, I'm, I, I can think of a, a situation that I know of in, a, in another church somewhere else where there was uh, somebody who was a businessman in that church and he led, he, he, well, from the 
he led somebody down a, an investment path that was bad, and somebody lost a lot of money, and there was no there was no uh, unity between those people, and uh, the church got involved. They tried to bring him into uh, repentance because it it was apparent that he had deceived these people, and uh, the, but the church wasn't holding anybody back from from any participation of any kind. And in that situation, they weren't calling him, this gentleman, to repentance. Mm. So um, should he have been fenced from the table? Yeah, I believe so, because he wasn't... Well, I I, I don't know if he would... I mean, I'm not sure this is saying that you should fence anybody. I mean, this text, I I, I actually think that you should fence yourself, Mm. if that's the language that you want to use, that, that, that there are moments in your life where you shouldn't take the Lord's Supper because... By taking it, you are expressing a unity that you don't actually yes, right. have with some people in the room. My The solution to that is to not perpetually not take the Lord's table, but to let that moment be a reminder to you that you actually are in a family, as Andy said, with these people. So sort it out. Go and, go and sort it out. And if you're like, well, I can't and I won't... well. I hope every time you, the communion is passed around that you actually remind you every time that, look, this isn't okay, mm-hmm. that you need to, to let it be a reminder to you constantly that, no, you need to sort this out, you need to sort this out. I mean, there are challenges that we have, too, because sometimes people won't take the communion because they'll say, well, I've tried to sort it out, and it's still we're still a rupture, whatever. And my attitude is, you know, as long as it depends on you, try to live at peace with all people. If you've gone to all the, right. all the lengths, and I guess then that's, it's no big deal. That's the point I'm trying to get to. Yeah. yeah, I just wasn't being as clear as I should. Yeah, or as I could have been. No, and I think that the point you're making, I think, is helpful. That it can't, this kind of thing can be abused perpetually, mm-hmm. uh, and it can be. I, again, I don't see anywhere in the scriptures where uh, the leaders of the church are told to not give communion to these people. Okay, I, I see. Right, unless you guys. I just don't see that being the case in this text. I think what this is right. is he's balls coming upon the people who actually are eating and drinking in an unworthy manner. His words, right? He's saying to them, "You should evaluate yourselves." In fact, isn't that his very the line that he uses? Uh, I didn't even. Am I right about that? Is that the way the line he uses that you should evaluate yourselves? I'm um, typing it into my computer again. Uh, everyone, uh, the, the anyone, ESV, uh, or sorry, NIV. Let a permanent person examine himself, verse yeah. 28, mm-hmm. then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So I think it explicitly tells you that this is something that you're yeah. supposed to do with you, right? So I'm, look, I, I can't examine you. But there, you can eat and drink the cup in an unworthy manner when you eat and drink it in, an, in a way that doesn't display the unity right. with the people who you're eating and drinking it with. That it should. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm going to transition us, if you guys are ready for that. Another question came in from a listener uh, having to do with church leadership. And this question says, how critical should someone be of the leader of their church, considering what the Bible has to say about holding teachers to a higher standard? So the New Testament says that teachers will be held to a higher standard. Where? I don't know the reference right off the top of my head. (laughs) I'm guessing James. Yeah, James. I, I bring that up. I only say where because I th- I just think it's important for us to. I, I'm very happy to answer the question. The Bible does say that, right? But I think it's important for us to not just quote the Bible in generalities, but to say, right, okay, I know the Bible says this somewhere, but 
to at least let an inkling go on in our mind that maybe the way I've always read the Bible is not actually in its context. So let me, okay, let me take a second look. Maybe I have done that, but let me check it just again. So James 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. You also have a passage in Hebrews 13, 17. I think, I think I'm going there. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to get, who will give an, give, sorry, who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no, no advantage to you. So in one of those texts, you have uh, not many of you should actually be teachers because actually the language is to presume to be teachers. You shouldn't think automatically that you should, you're a teacher because you just go into it with your eyes open that you're actually going to be judged with a greater strictness. By whom? God. Yeah, okay. <clears throat> and, the, and the leaders then in Hebrews 13, 17 are going to be held to account by whom? God. God. For their leadership. Okay, which, by the way, have you guys ever heard that text in Hebrews thirteen seventeen used to say that, well, the, a, 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 a pastor is going to be responsible for the spiritual life of every one of the people under their care? No. Oh, really? I've heard that a lot. That's oh. a very, very common phrase. Mm-hmm. And am I not, Greg, you're nodding a little bit. Have you ever heard that? No. Okay. I, I don't well, doubt. Me. I don't doubt it, but I just I think that's, personally... I think that's I ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I think that they're going to be held to account for how they how they speak and how they lead and those sorts of things. But I don't have any control over your spiritual life, ultimately. Right. I, right. Like, how, how am I going to be held? So if you ever read Richard Baxter, Baxter's Reformed Pastor, this is one of his arguments. He'll say that, well, look, you're going to be held to account for the spiritual life of that guy down the street. And I'm like, well, if by that you mean how what kind of input I've given him, how faithfully I've preached the message, sure. right? yeah. Then I totally agree, but whether the guy's a Christian or not, that's that's not in my control. No. No, and in that book, he tries to encourage pastors to go and do visitation to make sure that they've done everything necessary and possible to try to you know shepherd that person, which I think is great, totally. Um, but I've always struggled with that. In fact, Nine Marks Ministries, you guys know Nine Marks. Mm-hmm. This is, tends to be a theme that I hear them saying. I've never actually. Con- you know, spoken to them about it, but this seems to be something they they talk about a lot, and that's one of the reasons they they limit membership and these mm. sorts of things because they're like, well, we're going to be held to account for the spiritual life of every one of our members. Well, I'm like, well, you're gonna. This passage doesn't say that. It says that you're going to be held to account for how you lead those members, mm-hmm. and maybe maybe that's and, and, there's no difference. But I it is imp- it is important. But God is the one who's going to hold us account. That was my big point. Right, Matthew uh, 18. Jesus speaks to this issue in verse six and. He says that whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better off uh, for them to have a millstone fastened around their neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. This this is one of those verses that, as a teacher, concerns me, right? Right. Because uh, I don't want to be leading people astray, and it's one of the reasons why, as a teacher, you need to be careful what you are teaching. Right. First Corinthians 3, be careful how you build. That's right. Absolutely. So yes, there is there is a high standard. That, that God is going to hold the teachers to. So how critical should someone be of a leader in their church with this in mind? Well, I think you first need to start with the assumption that God's the one who's going to hold them to account, right? Like, I think that it will color you the way that you handle lots of things. And uh, it's true of yourself as well. Right. Right. I also don't think that you should ever 
feel the need to attend a church that you think that is, is doctrinally skewed. I include ours in that. Like if you feel deep in our your spirit that 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 doctrinally the church is off base, I don't think you need to stay at that church. I don't think that that's required of you. Um, I, I will, and I think that your responsibility is to try to is to try to either leave peacefully in that situation or to speak forthrightly face to face with the leadership and say, look, I think you're wrong about these issues. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but I wouldn't just sit my, on my hands. Mm. Like right. the two options would be speak forthrightly. Right. And, or for personally, at least the beginning. Right. Right. Or, um, leave quietly and try to preserve the life of the church. I think also we should recognize not every issue that we have is mm. with the leadership and their viewpoints on a matter right. is, right. <laughs> Is quite is it, you know we need to be willing to question our own like okay are we right about am I right about this I've got to make sure that I I've got my ducks in a row because a lot of people think well no I've got my favorite teacher on the internet and my pastor doesn't agree with him and therefore my pastor's wrong mm-hmm. and that's just not true mm-hmm. hmm. I don't know how how much what's the question how much how how critical should someone be of a leader of their a leader in their church. With this in mind. Well, I think if, if you have a question, like if you disagree, if your pastor says something, you disagree with him, like go and talk to him. Like Jeff said, go forthrightly and talk to him. Like email him, send him or call him, try to set up a meeting, try to... If, if it's like, an issue that of great importance to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Or, or that you think is central to to the faith or that it has, has a... Yeah. I, right. As a pastor, I know I get a lot of emails, and that there, it's not uncommon for somebody to send me an email about something I said that was very much a side comment or mm, sure. not yeah. my intent or whatever. Right. And when I get those, Fair I enough. usually respond by saying, "Yeah, no, that's not my intent at all. I'm sorry if I miss if I was misunderstood if, if I did not wasn't clear mm-hmm. in that." And yeah, that comment was not was one that I shouldn't have made. And Hey, I'm very willing to do that, right? Because preaching is not an exact science. You stand up there and your your mind's going, and sometimes yeah. you say things that you're like, "Ooh, that's not that's not quite the way I would have phrased it properly." But then there are other times where people want to chastise you, and I mean, I've gotten emails from people who are who point out like a phrase I used in a prayer, and I'm like, "What, really?" And then the argument that they have against the phrase I used in the prayer is actually not what I would consider to be sound doctrine. Mm. So so you but you're you're getting upset about the phrase I used in a prayer and now you feel the need to come and approach me about it because you want to correct me from yours but and you're not really open to a dialogue between the two of us. You're mm-hmm. sure that you're right and you're just coming along and and kind of slapping my hand and saying, "No, nah, ah, ah, you didn't use your words exactly the way that it would be." Cuz I could do you guys, I could do this at every single sermon I've ever heard from everybody. So I I I just want to there's a little mm-hmm. I don't know sure. hesitation that I want to mm-hmm. put on some people who are going to jump forward and That's good. However, there are times where in this day and age where people like are pastors are are teaching false things. So what do you do then? Well, I think it's also important to, I don't know if this is what the, the question had in mind as well, but in Titus, Paul says, you know, that the elders should be above reproach. You know, people who are teaching, leading, mm-hmm. uh, should be above reproach. These these are people that uh, um, 
should have lives that are of uh, moral character. Mm-hmm. And they're teaching in Titus 1, it's a really good text. Titus 1, they're teaching, uh, Titus 1 9, an elder must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So they got to know their stuff. Yeah. So they, there should be, they should, they should do that. If they don't meet that qualification, then you have every reason to ask whether they should be elder. And I think the mm. way that you would be able to figure out if they meet that qualification is, we've said it before, but you, you do the, the task of the Bereans where you're in your word and you're, you're reading it and you're trying to figure out what the authors are saying in their context and all that. And, and if there's significant disagreement and uh, error, to be willing to talk about it, but not just because it's something that you feel is off, but because you can go to the Bible and say, the Bible says this, I hear you saying this, and that, that's help an me. issue. Help me. Help, help me, me understand where you're coming from and why you're coming from it. That w- that perspective. You, you, because oftentimes you you realize initially, oh, you didn't say that, or oh, uh, I might have misunderstood that in the in the past. But yeah, you should hold it. I think that there should be a constant dialogue happening mm. though between the people who are listening and the people who are teaching. For sure. On that note, actually, I don't know if you saw, but the previous question, uh, Greg, the listener, or the, sorry, the yep. person asked, what was, what was my view on Romans uh, chapter 8, 9, 10? Yeah. What's your view on it? And uh, What view? Yeah, yeah there's, there's views. So let me, let me uh, just Are you in favor of Romans 8, 9, 10? I'd, I'd be curious just uh, to, to hear. So should I, do you want me to read that out? Sure. Okay, so... Uh, All of Romans 8, 9, and 10? <laughs> I would like you to read the entirety of Romans 8, 9, and 10. <laughs> I'll read out the Probably question. better than... It is better than what we've been talking about. <laughs> it says... The listener says, uh, I'd be interested in hearing how Andy would defend his case for the philosophical approach to how people are chosen by God. It seems that in Romans 7 through 10... Um, I think the passage is right. The listener says that, like Paul, we didn't have much choice in the matter. We were given knowledge without doing anything right or wrong. I'm happy to clarify this. Sorry. That's if well necessary. Right. Andy, do you, do you agree with the passage or or not? <laughs> like, do you agree with what the Bible says or not? Well, it's kind no of No pressure, though. Go ahead. Well, it's kind of funny. Well, first of all, I'm in the lines in here that everybody... Uh, you know that you guys are reformed. We're thinking, friendly lions, not, but they're friendly lions. But here's the thing: I think it's important, though. Like when I'm I come like at Simba. this text, I'm not coming at this text as a philosopher. You know, I'm coming at this text to understand what the intended meaning of the author is. Mm-hmm. I want to understand Paul correctly. Mm-hmm. And so, when I read uh, Romans eight, nine, ten, it, it seems very clear to me that Paul is burdened for his Jewish brothers that are not coming to the faith like the Gentiles are. Right. And the Gentiles are coming in droves, and this, this bothers him, this disturbs him, and he's trying to wrestle through this. He's trying to understand what to make of this. Now, the other, the other part that, I'm, that I see clearly as I read through the text is that Paul is making a case for the fact that the Gentiles have been uh, adopted into this promise mm. that the Jews have, and that... Uh, that they have been elected. And so when I read it, and I know, you, like, I think you guys would agree with me, he, he, he's dealing with corporate election here, Gentile and Jew. Now, I'm, I'm going to agree that there are certain, certain places, particularly in Romans 9, 
that, that it seems as though he's starting to make a different argument as well, although I'm going to disagree, because uh, I'm going to hold to... So this, the listener was wondering, how do I understand it? That's how I understand it. I understand it as corporal election between Jew and Gentile, as Paul's trying to understand this. Now, it also seems, though, that Paul's talking about how... I think God everybody should to... actually... Uh, I mean, Andy's view here is a very popular one. So I just think people should... Th- those who would disagree with him at this point should at least recognize that he, he's right. So he's right in the sense that there are pat- parts of, for example, Romans 9, when, as it's written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. That passage is a, ci- is a citation from... Uh, <clears throat> am I right? It's uh, Help me now. Micah? Am I right? I can't I can remember the it. Old Testament. I can't remember. It's a citation where the the nations are in view, right? The Jew and Gentile. So there is there is a sense of corporate election that he's drawing out. At least at least the texts that are being highlighted. And it's interesting that Esau actually is reconciled to Jacob at the end of that story. Yeah, but the challenge that Andy's going to face mm-hmm. is is how Paul deals at the end at the it's end. Malachi. Thank you. Sorry, Micah Malachi. It's, okay. it's the same. Yeah. I know. <laughs> How Paul deals in the end with, uh, for example, verse 22, what if God desiring to show his wrath and make his power known is endured with much patience, vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. On Andy's reading of that, vessels of wrath prepared for destruction would be those, uh, the non-elect nations, in Mm -hmm. order to make known the riches glory for the vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand glory. Then you get this phrase. I used to hold Andy's view, and this is the phrase that that I've always struggled with when I held that view: is that even us, whom he has called not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. So it sounds like he's he's drawing individuals from within the nations in that last phrase, and so that's a, that's the challenge. But I don't Quick don't want to limit. I don't want to limit. I don't want people to listen mm. to Andy and think that there's no. It's not like Andy's not reading a text. Mm. He he is. I think he's he's going to struggle. I'm saying in third person. Yeah, I think you're going to struggle to explain to me how verse 24 fits. Just a quick question out of curiosity, Jeff. The because that is a question, does that change anything for you that Paul's asking a question? Yeah, I think here? it's a rhetorical question. I, I I don't think he's saying, "Well, what if?" And this isn't the case. Or he's prov- he's he's arguing, you know, a philosophical possibility is some sort of counterfactual. I, I actually think that this is this is his argument. Uh, so when I look at that, I, I, I agree, you know, I've got to wrestle with that. On the flip side, though, and I've got philosophical things, yeah, that I would be wrestling with with regards to that, and maybe to try to address it, whether that be God-knowing counterfactuals or what that, whatever that might be. However, I think, though, the Calvinist has their own challenge when you get to the end of Paul's argument, in Romans chapter 10, and he says this, Romans 10, 10 to 13, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. Again, this is the argument he's talking about. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on uh, his name, or call on him. And then lastly, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. My point in bringing that up is I think there's a tension here that both have to wrestle with. I've got to wrestle with it when I see individual election. And I think, though, that the Calvinist has to deal with the same, though, when he's reading corporate election and trying to understand what Paul's saying. And he seems, you seem to see both there. Well, can I reframe it by saying that I I think the tension is between the sovereignty of God 
however defined, whether corporately or individually, but the sovereignty of God and the and the human responsibility that is, you, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You know, it's interesting yep. that it, in Romans eight he talks about how that calling takes place, though, right? In Romans eight twenty nine to thirty. So the the passage works as a whole. I mean, I would. Andy and I disagree on this, so I, I, I'm, I, I think the question's mm-hmm. a great one. But I, do, I also don't want to make it sound... I get frustrated a little bit when people make it sound like someone who holds a viewpoint that might not be Reformed in its soteriology. You know what I mean? By the doctrine of salvation is not Reformed. is not necessarily reading the Bible. That's not true. Mm-hmm. They are reading the Bible. They're coming to some different conclusions regarding what it is that the Bible might say about that. I think those readings are wrong. I don't think that they're substantiated with the scriptures, but I, I don't think it's right to say, well, you, you're just not, you know, you, you, why can't you agree with the Bible about this? I, I think that it, there are places that, that it's difficult at times. So this is an interesting case study, I think, about the conversation we were having earlier about holding teachers to account and uh, what does it look like to leave a church over uh, certain doctrinal issues. Mm. So where does this issue or topic fit in that spectrum in, in terms of should someone leave the church over this or is this an area where, the, where they should be bringing constant critique or like how, how should this topic be dealt with? That's something that you're going to have to decide for yourself quite honestly about leaving the church and all that kind of thing. I will say this though that <clears throat> I don't think it's appropriate for somebody to say that uh, if you hold, for example, a reform view on this, that you are out of step with the history of the church or the orthodox history of the church or or the Bible, I don't think that's true, and I think that that's that's a critique. I, I think is because every time I've heard that from somebody, I've wanted to say, okay, well, let's read the Bible, and let's read church history together. Because I'm very happy to read the Council of Orange with you and and see what happened in the in the Augustan Pelagian, you know, debates in mm-hmm. the early you know fourth century. So I I'm happy to talk about. All of that. Why Luther and Erasmus just didn't didn't agree. Why Jonathan Edwards wrote what he wrote. Like, so there's, yeah, this has been a fight for a long, long time. So I, I don't I don't know if I would put it on the level of hey, I can be sure that you're wrong. Well, actually, the church has actually been pretty pretty consistent in its take on this one. I will say though, also you should recognize that Andy and I happily serve together on a pastoral staff together, Absolutely. and I Andy's believing that God is going to hold me to account for what it is that I'm saying on these issues in the places where he might not agree or whatever. And I believe the same for Andy. I, I absolutely believe. I believe also that Andy is going to repent before he dies <laughs> on this. So, <laughs> But no, I, I do. I, at the end of the day, though, uh. I believe that Andy is a, as a biblicist enough to, to take the Bible seriously. Mm. And he does. And he recognizes the challenges that his own view has. I recognize the challenge that my particular view on the subject has, and we're try, we try to work through it by embracing some of the concepts or some of the Andy's not Andy's. I imagine if I well, Andy, do you believe in the sovereignty of God? Right, absolutely. Yes, absolutely, he does. And and Jeff, do you believe in human freedom? Yes, absolutely, I do. So we agree with that. How how we're gonna niggle that one out? We have some disagreements on. That's okay. That's okay. Philosophy comes into some of that. Other things like that. But I I don't I don't think the fact that we work together on the same staff quite yeah. happily. I think. Mm-hmm. It should be evidence that you can actually get along yep. on on many issues and and be able to say right there's some room there's some room to 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 disagree, to agree or disagree on this one. 
Good. Yeah, and I, 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 I absolutely agree. I think more one of the things I have really come to appreciate is that we need to to see where we are, uh, where we agree, and to really analyze those areas where we disagree. Is it how big of an issue really is that? And as I have thought about, thought about it, and I've worked a lot with with people who hold a different view than I do on this, uh, I've I've come to the conclusion that we're, we are preaching the same gospel. Uh, that, that this isn't a different gospel. This is this is a this is um, this is uh, you know God's work in you. How that all takes place, I I think you know that's that's like what Jeff was saying. That's where the the argument can take place. But it's the same gospel that we're preaching. Right. You should also know that there are some forms of Calvinism that we would not that I would not be able to work on a staff with. Likewise, there's some forms of Arminian thought that I would not be able to... Like, and I can work with well. Andy. I can work with Andy because Andy has an appreciation for, th- for things where both of us, I think, are closer to the middle of the debate than, than the fringes. I hope we are anyway. Because I what I think Jeff and I would say, though, is that there's a playground, a theological playground mm-hmm. that you need to fit into, and I think that there are some forms of Calvinism that goes outside the oh, playground. Absolutely. And I think it... it um, for example, makes God the author of evil. Yeah. And I think, though, that on the Armenian side, you can go outside the playground as well, where you get into um, open theism, oh, yeah. and now God doesn't know the future, and he's no, mm-hmm. he's no longer sovereign. Right. right. So I, I think it can go both ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's great. Hey, guys, thanks for the conversation. Thank you to everyone who sent in questions. I want to encourage you to keep doing that. Send them into extra at northview.org, and we will see you at the church services on the weekend.